In today's episode, I was joined by Tom Hoagie of the PGA Tour. Tom was enjoying a really good season before the pandemic hit, including a second place finish at the Greenbrier and two more top sixes at the American Express and Farmers Insurance Open at Tory Pines. Um, and we just talked about that and how it's uh, affected him going forward and the early part of his career and how he's got to where he is now. I'll be too nervous to, I'll probably lost the words. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Lost Words podcast. I'm joined today by Tom Hoagie, who plays on the PGA Tour, uh, having a fantastic season so far and probably one of the people that really didn't want the season to stop, um, given the uh, the current pandemic. Tom, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Uh, kind of funny to talk about it like that. And, uh, you know, excited that hopefully we can get the season going again. It feels like, man, that feels like it's been a couple of years ago since we uh, shut it down back at the Players' Championship a few months ago. So it's been a while. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, what was the feeling like that week at the Players' Championship? I know a lot of players were sort of really not sure about playing. There was there was one really outspoken player. Um, but did, did you feel comfortable on the course or was it kind of one of those ones where you're sort of just waiting for it to end? What, what was the feeling? Yeah, kind of to take you through the week, like it was a really weird week, Um from the standpoint that I would say, you know, early in the week, Monday, Tuesday, I mean, coronavirus really wasn't on anyone's radar that much the, in the U.S., I would say, especially for uh, somebody like myself. You know, some of the uh, foreign players, I would say, were a lot more aware of what was going on than uh, us dumb Americans, as you would say. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like, I'm trying to think how it all played out. I think I think it was Tuesday when they had this chain smokers concert yeah. out on the 17th yeah. hole. And then Wednesday night was when, uh, you know, everything was kind of shutting down and I'm NBA, the NCAA basketball tournament all canceled. And then it seemed like that exact same time they must've had a, uh, like a time scheduled tweet to go out or whatever with, uh, their mass production from this chain smokers deal. Like it was just a very unfortunate timing that this went out and showed whatever it was, 10,000 people all bunched in there on the 17th hole at TPC Sawgrass. So <laughs> kind of a bad deal and and you know that was like that was like right as we were going to bed on Wednesday night and I had an early tea time Thursday of the players championship and um I would say just a lot of uncertainty even even waking up the next morning going out to play like it was a it was a weird deal if I remember right they refunded um spectators tickets if they didn't want to come but they were still welcome to come so uh you know you still had some fans out there but for the most part like it was just very quiet, um, and and I mean, pretty much a major championship now as far as galleries go and everything at the players. So you would expect a lot more roars and that sort of stuff, kind of as you're warming up. And it was just quiet and kind of eerie out there. And then as we played the 18th hole or ninth hole of the day, they had on the on the jumbotron up there, uh, our commissioner up there talking about how there'd be no fans on Friday the next day out there and. Like there was just a lot of uncertainty and uneasiness, I guess, I guess kind of rightfully so, because it's kind of been that way ever since. We don't really know what uh, what's coming up next. So uh, just kind of take it each day and see uh, where we end up. Do you think because it was the Players' Championship, it even, it even started on the Thursday, do you think it was any other event they would have just left the tournament completely? Um because it just seems like they were just so desperate to get that event going for obvious reasons. It's a big event for the tour. It's a big event for you guys. Um, but it, it certainly felt like they tried to push it, and really it probably should have just been left alone. Yeah, you know, 
I mean, I just think that, uh, you know, nobody really kind of knew what we were getting into at all. And, uh, you know, from a player's perspective, we're there, we're playing for a $15 million purse. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why you want to get that one in. And, you know, looking back, I know there's still a lot of guys that wish we were able to play the last three days with no fans even. And, uh, you know, because kind of once you're already there with all the travel aspect of it and everything, it seems like you could have maybe found a way to get it work. But, uh, you know, the tour's got to err on the side of caution, and I understand why they did it. So it all made sense. You know, looking looking back on this thing, um, you know, like I said, there's just so much uncertainty around this whole coronavirus thing that nobody really had any data as far as what was going to be coming ahead. And, and obviously you got to go home and the reason for the lockdowns. But, uh, you know, hopefully they've got a good plan in place now, a big uh, 37 pages they sent us for how we can proceed <laughs> with uh, some health caution. And hopefully it's going to work here in a few weeks. So just looking forward, do you think that um, sort of the the event that we're going to play at Colonial is a, a good target, really? Because it, it seems far enough down the line now. I mean, a lot of players have been playing right through this period. Some of the courses have never been shut down. Um, and just with, with no fans there, it seems like it is sort of suitable to do. Um, I know, obviously, there's a lot of volunteers on the course with scoring and and shot trackers and things like that. But if you limit those and, and the media members and things like that, it really should be a fairly safe practice, especially if you're all getting sort of uh, tested regularly as well. Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. So so Colonial's kind of my home spot as well. Fort Worth, Texas, I went to school at TCU and uh, still live right there. So, um, you know, what's, what's very interesting about Fort Worth, you know, pretty conservative from their uh, politics standpoint that – People have been out and about a ton during this whole deal. You know, with the lockdowns, I would say people were more so sticking towards grocery stores and essential services. But uh, I want to say May 1st, we opened restaurants to 25% capacity. And now, um, as of May 18th, uh, we've had gyms and everything open. So kind of life's starting to get back to normal a little bit there. So I think that you know, I think everybody's pretty comfortable with the start date of June 8th, the Monday for the first practice rounds for Colonial, and um, things feel like it's a pretty good go-ahead. I think the uncertainty lies in travel between tournaments, um, you know, just kind of getting everybody there in a safe manner and, and figuring out how to keep um, our bubble kind of isolated from everybody else. You know, I think that's that seems to be the tour's focus um, from my from my standpoint, as far as reading their health and safety procedures, how do we kind of isolate our players and caddies and our, our bubble, so to speak, from everybody else, just to try to do it in a manner where you, you keep um, positive infections down so we can keep this thing kind of going as long as possible. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think that one of the biggest concerns was that there is so many international players and caddies that, that may not be able to even get to the events because of the you know the travel restrictions and things like that. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's one of those things now we just have to wait and see, aren't we, and see how it goes. And as long as the players feel safe, and, and I'm sure you're all ready to go competition-wise, you're just probably itching to get back out there, um, that hopefully we have a successful restart and, and it goes on from there. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, obviously, TCU there. Um, obviously, you went and played your college golf there, but how early did was it that you got into golf and when did the focus really switch to being a professional golfer did you have that in mind before you went to TCU yeah I think it was always a dream you know I was lucky I was uh three years old when I started playing golf just kind of tagged along with my parents and older brother and hit a few shots here and there and uh it progressed you know I grew up in Fargo North Dakota which uh 
I guess you wouldn't really say it's the golfing hotspot with such a short golf season, but, uh, you know, I was pretty lucky. I grew up at Fargo Country Club, and they had a uh, par three course where all the holes were 60 to 120, 130 yards. Um, that was great for, you know, being a kid, learning how to play golf, going out and practicing the short game as I get older. And I was still up there last week, and still one of the things that I missed just because you could uh, do so much good practice out there. But um, I would say when I was, man, probably – 10 years old or so, um, there was a group of buddies and we'd spend pretty much every day at the golf course in the summer while it was open. And, uh, you know, the high school I went to, I would say there were, I don't know the exact numbers, but six to eight, maybe 10 division one golfers that played, um, probably within six years when I was, when I was coming through there. So there were a lot of good players to be around and, um, really a good group of guys to go out and practice with and kind of push yourself. So, I was very fortunate from that standpoint just to, uh, you know, kind of have a reason to want to go hang out at the golf course all the time. So that was great for me. And, uh, you know, when I was eight, it would have been was when Tiger won the Masters in 97. So there was a great motivating force there. And, um, you know, it was kind of the cool thing to do all of a sudden. So that was kind of my focus was uh, just trying to put a lot of time in and get better. And, and uh, you know, I'll be honest, like I was never – the best junior player nationally or anything. So I ended up at TCU and uh, probably wasn't the most highly decorated golfer, but I was real fortunate. My Going into my senior year of high school, the U.S. Amateur was played at Hazeltine, which is in Minneapolis, about a, about a four-hour drive from our house in Fargo. And I was the uh, first alternate out of our Fargo qualifier, and we just kind of took a chance and drove down and just said, hey, we'll see if anybody withdraws. And sure enough, I was out there at 6.30 on – uh, the, the morning of the first round, I hadn't played a practice round or anything. And one of the guys was going to withdraw with like a 7.30 tee time. And next thing you know, I was in the USAM and uh, our college coach from TCU happened to be there and saw me play a few holes and uh, offered me a spot on the team. So it all kind of worked out. And I, I kind of needed that just to get out of Fargo and get, um, you know, get a little more access time as far as practice goes year round there in Texas. But more than anything, just seeing different golf course conditions and playing a national schedule like TCU had kind of all over the place and getting exposed to everything. And, and that's the best way to learn is going to figure it out on your own. So uh, I got a little bit better. And then uh, my sophomore year, I finished third at NCAAs. And that was kind of the wake-up call, I would say, that, hey, I might be able to do this thing. Um, but, man, you never really know until you kind of do make it out there for sure and, and kind of see where you stack up. One of the things well, that I was going to mention was your three individual wins um your two individual wins sorry and your third place at the the national championships that was obviously probably the, like you just say there the moment where you realize that you can make it um and then obviously in 2011 you turn pro and, and you go out to canada to play professional golf and, and it didn't take you long before you got got a win on that tour yeah you know that was kind of a funny story too um so a high school teammate of mine ben freeman went to school at Drake and we both graduated 2011 and turned pro and his parents had moved to Saskatoon in, in uh, Canada, which if I want to say was like a 10 or 11 hour drive from Fargo, we drove up there to Monday qualifier for the Canadian tour. And, uh, I think I finished there. I made, the, I played well, made the cut at a bad Sunday finish, maybe 30th or 40th. And then we had to drive Sunday afternoon back to Winnipeg for the next week's event before we were going to drive home to Fargo. So, uh, man, I think it was like an eight-hour drive. We pulled into Winnipeg at maybe one or two in the morning. 
um, to our hotel, and we had to get up for a 7 a.m. tea time for the Monday qualifier again, try to get in the next week there on the Canadian Tour. And uh, this was kind of before phones would work internationally up there, being the cheap uh, mini tour players we were, didn't have MapQuest or anything. So we got directions from the front desk of the hotel downtown Winnipeg out to the golf course, and we were driving all over the place, lost. Finally called the golf course. I think it was probably only a half hour for our tea time at this point. And uh, we got directions. We're on the way. I just remember having to sit and wait for a train, which uh, when you're short on time for a tea time, that's about the longest feeling in the world is waiting for a train to roll through. But uh, we kind of made it and stumbled out of the car up to the – I remember tying my shoes on the first tee, so we were uh, getting ready to go there pretty short. But uh, I made it through there in a playoff, ended up winning um, on the Canadian Tour that week. And that got me in the Canadian Open and the PGA Tour the following week. So that was a mad scramble Sunday night to get home to Fargo, book flights out to uh, Vancouver, where they're playing the Canadian Open at Shaughnessy, which is still one of my favorite golf courses to this day. But, uh, you know, it was a wild uh, week in there and, and kind of a game changer for me as far as uh, getting access to the PGA Tour, getting to play with those guys, getting to see their games up close um, and kind of compare yourself and figure out what you need to do and, I didn't play very well that week, but I uh, felt like I learned a lot. And then, especially looking back, learned a lot of good lessons um, as far as kind of how to be a professional and play your game. Because I would say, you know, the difference from those levels, I was playing very well going into it, but really had no idea how to manage my game. And, uh, you know, like I'm trying to think who I played with, but, but kind of my takeaway was that guys in the PGA Tour, it's not like they do anything overly impressive they just never screw up and their short games are incredible so you know that was kind of the lesson like you don't have to go out and hit these hero shots all day you just have to play pretty boring golf and it adds up to a good score at the end of the day so yes that was a uh, kind of a good takeaway and and it was funny because that was it would have been middle of july and i really played terrible for the rest of the summer and uh kind of led into q school where i didn't really feel that well about my game but uh was able to make it out to final stage of Q school that first year and got pretty good status on the web.com and uh, was pretty fortunate that I was able to play full schedule on the web.com. You know, my first year out of college was a big deal. Yeah, and looking at that, you, you finished sixth on your second start on the tour um, and you actually only finished sort of uh, three behind the winner. Um, and it was only, there was a 72 of, if I'm right, on the Saturday that actually really maybe even cost you a chance of winning so early on. So how much of that was... A really big confidence boost you got you obviously won very quickly on a canadian tour um and then you've had a, a very good chance on the the first year on the corn ferry you're sort of really seeing like you say there you, you had that eye opener at the um the canadian open where you could see what you needed to do and then you're putting that into practice very quickly into your professional career yeah you know that was a, that was a good week for me that was a great golf course for me in, in uh, bogota colombia um kind of a shorter tree-lined golf course pretty tight and that's kind of always been, um, you know, as I get to my PGA Tour career, the courses I've done better at have been your colonials, that sort of stuff, uh, where you got to hit it kind of straight and, and and distance isn't really necessary. But, uh, you know, I always felt like my, my strength's more in my iron play. So if I can just get it off the tee out there and uh, kind of all hit in the same spots that I'll, I'll be able to beat some of these guys playing, hitting the same irons in. Um, so those courses have have uh, helped me out a little bit. And, uh, you know, there, um, I think I got sick uh, on the Friday night where I wasn't feeling real well on Saturday or Sunday and uh, kind of made it through. But, 
you know, I was I was coming out of the conditional category, so that sixth place finish was huge as far as setting up the rest of the year where I'd be able to get in every tournament. Um, and looking back, like I don't remember a whole lot now from that first year on the on the web.com Corn Ferry Tour, but you know, I played pretty well and just never finished that well on the weekend and uh really had a lot to learn as far as how to manage a tournament, um, how to manage emotions, that sort of stuff. Cause you know, it always felt like you wanted to go out and try to shoot 63 or four on Sunday and move up the leaderboard in top 10. But, um, something that, you know, if you could just shoot three, four under each day on the weekend, you're going to move up and pass a lot of guys and have a good finish. And, uh, it took me a while to learn that for sure. That's a, one of the things I've noticed, um, looking back at your scores recently, is that the weekends are generally one of your strongest points now. Um, but looking at the just the end of that first year on the the Corn Ferry, you had in the Neediest Kids Championship, and you finished tied eighth. Uh, but it was a seventy six final round. And um, was that nerves, or was that just kind of something that hadn't played out quite right? Or you know, because you had a really good chance of winning that week. Yeah, that one I would say would be a little bit more nerves and. Uh that that week uh that's so that was actually interesting because uh a good buddy of mine josh persons from fargo north dakota as well monday qualified for the tournament and we were in the final group together with casey wittenberg there so uh pretty crazy that two of us from fargo would be paired together in the final group of a web.com event but uh I, if I remember correctly, I took the lead at the turn. Um, so I was taking the lead to the back nine for the first time of a web.com event. And that's a brutally difficult golf course, TPC Avenel, that the tour had redone. And, um, you know, just a lot of trouble and, and hazards and that sort of stuff. And everywhere you hit it. And uh, I think I got off to a real bad start of a back nine. But, um, but you know, like I said, you got to try to learn something from all those situations. And, um you know, there's no way to practice being in that final group of a of a big tournament like that, trying to win for the first time. So, is is you just got to keep throwing yourself in that situation, and hopefully, you can figure it out and uh, figure out a way to make yourself better the next time you get there, and hopefully, pull it off down the road. So, you know, that's kind of been the the working process for me is getting myself into that position near the lead, and and hopefully, one of these days here soon, that uh, I'll be able to figure that out and, and win a golf tournament again. Yeah, just um, one year onto there was a BMW Charity Pro Am and, and you finished second that week. Um, and, and you talk about trying when you've got a chance trying to put together decent rounds and you shot four rounds that week of 68 or better, uh, 68, 67 over the weekend and still lost by five. Um, was that just, did that just feel like Mark Anderson was playing a different course at this point? Because you know there's yourself on on your two six four final score, and, and there's a few others on two six five. So that felt like a a pretty good score, and you'd shot a um, you know sixty six sixty three to open. So um, you, you really didn't do anything wrong there. It's kind of he just played a really good week of golf. Yeah, you know, and if I remember right there again, I, I think I had conditional status again from the year before um, on the on the web.com tour, so I hadn't played a whole lot to that point. And that second-place finish was huge again as far as getting me in the events the rest of the season. Uh, but like you said, you know, and it's kind of happened to me a few times. The Greenbrier this year, I finished second on the PGA Tour, and I was not really close to Joaquin Neiman at all. You know, guys just run away with it sometimes, so you got to get a little bit lucky there too, where your good weeks kind of run into uh, the right situation. But, you know, that one was a big week for me. Like I said, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure there when you're playing from conditional status, you haven't played a lot and you've got to finish off that Sunday into a good week. And, 
you know, I just remember that week I was hitting it really well, so I had a lot of birdie opportunities. And, uh, you know, that's a pro-am golf tournament where you got an amateur partner, and it was a fun week. I had some great partners out there, and we had a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, those are some golf courses I really enjoyed, too, on the Web.com Tour in Greenville, South Carolina. And, uh, you know, I think – I think I was really struggling that year as a whole, you know, kind of, it's been kind of interesting as you look at it. I would say that I kind of catch stretches for six, eight months where I play really well. And then, uh, you know, kind of lose it for a little bit. And it's kind of been kind of in every, every other year sort of thing, almost as far as my career has gone here. So, you know, trying to get a little bit more consistent, hopefully can, can piece together some longer stretches where I play well, but, uh, you know, I didn't play, you know, other than that second place finish, it really was not a good year for me. Um, went back out to the web.com tour the next year and was playing okay. wasn't doing a whole lot. I started off that year where I was jumping around caddies a ton, where I was using a different caddy every week. And, and about halfway through that year, um, Malcolm Baker was a caddy on the PGA Tour for a long time for Greg Chalmers. And he was back uh, working for a guy on the on the web.com tour and, and Tom Gillis was a friend of mine who played on the PGA Tour for a while. He kind of set us up where he thought that having more of a veteran caddy who's been out there and established could really help me and hopefully hopefully uh, find a little more consistency. And, you know, for the first few weeks, I played kind of terrible with Mel on the bag, but we were working on my wedge game a lot, trying to get that a lot better. And things started clicking towards the uh, second half of the season where I started playing a little better. Um, and at that point, I needed a push. That was the first – that might have been the second year for the web.com tour finals, the new Q school, so to speak. You had to finish top 75 on the web.com tour to make it in there. And I want to say I had two top tens late in the season to kind of lock up my spot in that. I only finished maybe top 70 or so for the regular season money list. And then, but I felt great about how I was playing and we had four weeks trying to finish top 25 on a new money list. And I got in there and, and played pretty well. I finished third in, uh, Charlotte, which locked up my tour car for the first time. So that was, uh, you know, that was about as cool a feeling as you can get walking off the golf course and uh, getting it done and heading to the big show, so to speak. Yeah, like you're under you know, a lot of pressure to, to get your card and you finish sixth and tenth for those two top tens, get your third at the Chiquita Classic, where again you had a you know, pretty good chance to win. Um, bounce back from a, a slow start on the Thursday to, to really put yourself into contention. Um, and then you get to the PGA Tour for the first time and you make five of your first six cuts. And okay, they weren't all top finishes, but how much of a confidence boost was it to actually just get to play four rounds on that at that level and, and really see where your game stacks up against the others? yeah it was funny um the first event i think i lost the ball with about four or five holes if i was the last group on the course and all the volunteers had left and i hit one offline and couldn't find anywhere and i think i missed the cup by a shot maybe so that was a tough one the second week was in vegas and uh i was in great shape to make the cut and we're playing the la- we had to play the ninth hole par five in the dark pretty much and uh I hit it down the fairway, was just off the green and two, and it's like pitch black at this time. All you can see is from the scoreboard coming off. And my caddy Mal is like, hey, man, let's just uh, let's just mark it, come back in the morning, you know, make our first cut, and away we go. And I'm like, Mal, we're in Vegas. I like to gamble. Uh, it's late enough already. I'm like, there's no way I'm coming back at six in the morning to have to hit one chip and then figure this all out. I was like, let's just get it up there, get this done with tonight. We just got to make a par. We're here in two. We can do this. And uh, I just flat chunked the chip like five feet in front of me. So all of a sudden I was like, <laughs> I was like, now what the heck do we do? Do we mark it and come back? But 
luckily I hit a good chip up there to about two feet and I could shake that one in to make the first cut on tour. But, uh, you know, that was pretty nervous, uh, trying to make that first cut out there. And then I remember going to, uh, sea Island the next week and I finished maybe 30th or so. And man, I felt like I was rich making uh, 30 grand out there for a week. It was awesome seeing that first check come in for a, for a decent amount finally. So that was fun. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, you talk about, um, sort of, going back and, and the pressures of going from the tour for uh, the corn ferry to the pga tour and but this season you, this first season on the pga tour you know you had some good finishes didn't you, you finished 12th at the, the fedex st jude and uh 16th to barbasol fifth at the canadian open where you'd made your debut before um and it wasn't quite enough so you had to go back to the, the corn ferry finals to to get your card how and, you, and you've done that a couple of times in your career uh three times i think it is so how much pressure is that? Because you seem to cope with it very well, as I think some people may succumb to that and, and really struggle to, to play their best golf those weeks. Yeah, so looking back there, you know, in May, I spent a little bit of time working with Scott Hamilton for the first time. And he helped me kind of straighten out uh, some backswing stuff and, and try to tighten things up a little bit. But we weren't really working on a formal basis together. So, um you know, and I went on a roll after that. I think I made like 500 grand and almost kept my card um, in the in the three months after that. And in that last week, I was playing well. I was tied for the lead with Tiger Woods going into uh, Saturday at Wyndham. And uh, you know, looking back on it, I think I was maybe 132nd or so going into that last week, and needed to get the top 125 for the playoffs. So it was a it was kind of a tough hand to be dealt dealing with Tiger and everything that comes with that pairing on the Saturday. Um, you know, I didn't have a good weekend there, but, but man, it was a great thing as far as, like I said, experience and getting used to that situation. So a couple weeks later, um, Columbus, Ohio, I think it was the third event of the corn Ferry web.com tour finals. Um, I ended up finishing second and it was like, there was no pressure at all playing the back nine, having just played with tiger. It was, it felt like the easiest thing in the world. So, uh, you know, from that perspective, like that, that pairing was huge, just getting used to, uh, all that was going on out there, man, and there's people moving all over the place and talking and whatever else. And you just got to find a way to get in your own world and go play. So, uh, that was great for me. And, uh, you know, like you said, I've, I've gone back to these web.com finals, man, I don't even know. I probably played the most tournaments, which is the last stat that you want to leave. In. But, uh, you know, I just, for whatever reason, I felt like given, three or four weeks to go do it that I was going to find a way to play well in one of them and go get it done and luckily I've been able to do it for whatever reason yeah and you, and you talk about that experience of playing with Tiger at the Wyndham obviously uh, you, you'd led after 36 holes and shot a 62 on the first day and uh, what is it that, that is so difficult is it is it the fans in the gallery or is it for the first time playing with Tiger are you sort of fixated on what he's doing are you trying to pick up things from his game are you are you just is it kind of like a, oh my god this is Tiger Woods moment um because you know it doesn't matter whether you're a professional golfer and these are colleagues if you like this is a this is a superstar isn't it? this is someone that you've grown up watching um the reason maybe that you got into golf so it's very easy to get caught up in that and, and maybe not play your best golf yeah exactly you know so <laughs> you're spot on on both of them um I, I was off in the morning on Friday, so I, I think I was at 11 under. And I was watching the coverage on Friday afternoon, and Tiger was kind of making a move. He made Eagle on 15 to time. He, and I wanted that pairing. I mean, you want to go out and play with the guy that you looked up to your whole life. Um, and, and it was funny. My phone was blowing up, so I put it on Do Not Disturb, and I slept great that night, and I felt great, ready to go. 
striped it down the first tee, hit in there. I mean, I think I hit it to four or five feet on the first hole for birdie. And uh, Tiger made about a 15-footer for birdie right ahead of me. So all of a sudden, everybody's just running on to the next hole. I've got this little downhill left to right putt that's probably, you know, a couple balls outside left right in the front of the green. If you hit it too hard, shoot, I could hit it 15 yards off the green. Not the putt you want at all. And I got over the putt, and it was like, I could not get my body still at all. Like it felt like everything was moving and whatnot. And it was just that anxiousness and excitement to get out there and play and uh, something I had never really felt before. So it took me, you know, a few holes to settle into that. And it was like you said, you know, kind of the whole way you're kind of watching Tiger just because, man, it's the guy that you grew up watching is Tiger Woods. I mean, he's got that aura about him to begin with it. When he walks in a room, you know, it kind of draws your attention, but you're, you're paired with him and you just want to kind of watch what he's doing. And, you know, when I look back on that day, I actually played some pretty good golf, and I scored very badly in the middle of the back nine. I I was just off the green where I probably should have putted, and I chipped it by about eight feet and made a bogey the next hole. I went up and three putted from about 20 feet, and it was just a lot of sloppy, careless shots that, uh, you know, might have lost focus for a little bit in there, but, um, you know, still a day that I'll always remember. But fast forward to this year when I was kind of playing well at Torrey Pines, I got paired with Tiger on Sunday, and... Uh, that one, again, was funny because I was kind of watching what Tiger was doing the whole day on the leaderboard. I started off at 10 and was not, never really close to him. And I, I remember thinking – I had a good start to the back nine, my first nine of the day, and I thought, you know, if I could finish well, maybe shoot six, seven under out there at Torrey Pines, I could get up there and get close to Tiger and get paired with him. But I made a bogey on my on the fourth hole, my 13th of the day, and I was like, all right, this is kind of done. I'm too far back now. I'm not sure what Tiger did on the back nine, but uh, – uh, he might have made a bogey or two coming in. And I hit it close on eight, a par three. I had about six feet, and I looked up, and Tiger had posted seven under. And if I birdied the last two, I could get to seven under, be tied with him. And, and you never know at that point if you're going to get paired or not. And so I was grinding those last two holes to make a couple birdies, and I did. And, uh, you know, some guys missed some putts at the end, and it worked out well that I was paired with Tiger. And, and kind of away we go. You know, I hit that first tee shot and uh, standing over the iron in the fairway, things were kind of the same way as far as that anxiousness and excitement. And, uh, you know, just hard to kind of get still and feel calm over the golf shot. And, uh, you know, I picked up real early. Kind of, I think I was walking to that green or maybe the, the second hole was just how slow Tiger was moving, how slow he was walking, how slow he was kind of swinging his practice swings and everything. And I just tried to copy it the rest of the day. Like I'm going to match his speed the whole way we go. And, uh, you know, I played great. I shot four under 68 that day and, uh, you know, kind of hopefully a change for me going forward, something that I can take to use and just slow everything down a little bit. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that was very deliberate on his part to, uh, try to match that speed. So, you know, something I can take away and use in the future, hopefully. Yeah. And you say, you know, you shot a 68, Tiger shot a 70, um, and JB Holmes that you're playing with as well shot a 73. So you've beaten both those guys by a decent amount. Um, and you, like you say, it's, it's very deliberate with Tiger, isn't it? He does slow everything down. He talks about it. He, you know, he's, he's not rushed. He, he thinks everything through. Whereas maybe the first experience you, you just wanted maybe just to hit your shot and, and follow what he was doing or hit your shot while the crowds are quiet and things like that. So it's very easy to get caught up, but I think, Looking at the years that you've gone by now, especially the last couple of seasons, you've probably progressed quite a lot as a golfer and, and as a professional to to really feel comfortable in that situation. And maybe the fact that you'd had that first experience with playing with Tiger, the second time it wasn't so 
um, such a big deal. Obviously, it's still a big deal, um, but not not quite as daunting as the first time. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I caught him at a good time there where I was playing really well and felt real confident about how I was playing. So that was a good thing, you know, just being in that environment and, uh, you know, getting Tiger on a Sunday at Torrey Pines was a pretty cool experience for sure, a place, you know, that he's dominated at. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, I'm 30 years old now and there's a, you know, there's maturity that comes with being out there for a while now and kind of figuring out how to do things. And, you know, I would say more than anything, it's just, you know, it's not getting tied up in each shot as far as getting highs, the highs and lows of it. That if you hit a bad shot, you know, it's not that big of a deal. You know, we're all out there on the PGA Tour for a reason. You know, we're pretty good at figuring out those situations and how to get out of them and and uh, going from there. So, you know, I've been a little bit better in that regard and and feel like things are you know kind of on a good path here. And another uh, one of the strange situations that you had during that uh, round there at Torrey Pines was the, the news had broke at, that Kobe Bryant had passed away. Um, and I think it was just sort of going into the back nine that had happened. Did, when did you hear about it? Because obviously there was a lot of media attention on Tiger being friends with Kobe and whether he had heard or whether he hadn't um, before he came off the golf course. And it seemed like he was so focused he hadn't quite heard. But did you hear it at all? Was it until you got done after the round that you'd heard that news? I know you're a pretty big sports fan yourself. Yeah, you know, it wasn't until we were done, and, uh, you know, I've watched, I've seen some highlights from that telecast, and they mentioned that uh, Joe LaCava, Tiger's caddy, might have known, you know, midway through the round, and, and I don't really think that was the case. You know, Tiger and I, Tiger was great that day. We were joking and talking a fair amount um, throughout the round, and my caddy, Henry Diana, is good friends with Joe as well, so I'm almost positive that if Joe knew, he would have told Henry, and Henry would have told me, but you know, I would say starting maybe the 14th hole or so, people were started yelling uh, stuff about Kobe, you know, like, do it for Mamba, do it for Kobe, Kobe's dead, all this stuff. And kind of the one one of the funny parts about playing with Tiger is, is the crazy stuff that everybody's yelling at him all day long to get his attention. So, you know, that's kind of what I thought it was. Like, people are just trying to yell at Tiger to get him to look over their way. Um, never would I have guessed that Kobe had actually died, and we didn't know until um, – I would say I knew after I saw my scorecard and looking back, they were telling Tiger as we were walking to the scoring area. But uh, yeah, we had, we had no idea really. And you know, it, it kind of sucked some of the life out of the crowd. I would say there on the back nine, things were a little bit different for sure. And uh, I just want to jump back a, a season now and, and look at your 2018-19 season. Do you think this was really the catalyst for your, your progress going forward? Because you'd had a really good chance. You finished third at, at the Sony Open, um, and, and you were leading into the final round, and you really didn't do an awful lot wrong that final day. It was, um, you know, you had, I think you had a double bogey on the 16th, which you know yep. you did lose by one stroke, uh, or didn't get into playoff by one stroke. So you know, it's very easy for us to say well, that you, you threw it away on the 16th, but you actually had chances on the 17 and 18 to make up for it as well. But what was the overriding feeling? after that week was it the disappointment of not getting it done or or was it a, a pride of how well do you play because you know the, the two guys Pat and Kazar and James Hahn that, that got into the playoff had to play really really well on that back nine to even get into that position yeah so I'm going to back you up a little bit further even um, going back to the web.com finals a few months before that um, would have been in the fall um, what was that 17 I guess the year before, I had uh, 126 to 150 status in the tour, conditional status. I didn't play a whole lot, but I felt like I was starting to play a little better again. And uh, I went to those Corn Ferry finals and didn't really do a whole lot till the last event. Um, 
I want to say I shot like 72 in the first round on a day when Sam Saunders shot 59 out there in the corn well, web.com tour. The golf course was playing pretty easy. And I think I shot like eight under the second round just to make the cut. Um, and I, and I had to finish like top 12 or top 10 or something like that just to uh, get my tour card and, and going into the final round, our Sunday got delayed from a big storm. So we got to play Monday. And when we were going right into Napa, if you got your card right out there that same week for the PJ tour season to start up and, uh, going into, going into the final round, I needed to shoot probably five or six hundred to have a chance for that top 10, top 15, somewhere there they need to finish. And uh, I got off to a terrible start, but I somehow found a way. I birdied seven of the last 12 holes and birdie, you know, I looked up on the last green. I had about 15 feet for birdie and, at that time, it looked like if I make it, I probably get my tour card. If I miss it, probably probably don't, and pour it right in the middle. And uh, you know, that's probably probably my only fist pump in my life at this point uh, was when I made that putt. But uh, pretty incredible feeling to make one when you had to and step up like that and get back out on tour. And that carried over a lot into the fall. I played well in uh, Vegas. I think I finished uh, top ten there. I had some other good finishes, and kind of for the first time, like. I felt a little bit more comfortable heading into the uh, break over Christmas that, uh, you know, I put some good money up on the board and felt like I was in good shape um, as far as keeping my card and making the FedEx Cup playoffs for the first time. Um, and it was at that point, like, I still didn't feel like my ball striking was quite where, where kind of things felt comfortable. And, and that was the first time where I called Scott Hamilton and said, look, I want to make this a full-time deal. Like, I need your help. And I hadn't really worked with him at all in between there from my first year on tour, and I think that was going into my fourth, so it had been a few years. And I went out in December to Cartersville where he's where he teaches that, and he's got some technology to use. And we kind of figured out that, uh, you know, some stuff in my golf swing as far as uh, your pressure on your feet and that sort of stuff that was, uh, you know, caused a little bit too much spin in, in the golf golf ball flight. And uh, we got that kind of, kind of dialed in a few changes. I got married in December that same week um, that I left Scott's house. We went, went and got married, and, and things were just in a really good place. And, and I came out that first tournament in Hawaii and felt great. And I hit the ball unbelievable that tournament. You know, I I don't think I putted very well. And, and like you said, I'm, you know, I lost by one shot where I, I think I missed two greens the whole final day. You brought up 16, the eighth hole. I, you know, I was, both of them I was like, 155, which for me, I hit a 9 or 150, 800 goes about 165. So it's kind of right in between the easy eight, hard nine. And on the eighth hole that day, I hit a hard nine, pulled it left, made a bogey. So going to 16, it was kind of that same number. And I went with the easy eight. Um, and actually, I felt like I hit a pretty good shot. I just pulled a little bit. It was just a little bit left of the green. I thought it might be in the fringe, maybe just in the rough. And it went, I guess it hit the face of a bunker and went down into the back down slope of a bunker and make double. Um, and go from one ahead to one behind. But, uh, you know, like I said, that was kind of my first position, first time in that position and, uh, you know, learned a lot. Um, I remember playing that back nine thinking, I want to say I was at 18 under with a lead with maybe four or five holes left and felt like if I could get to get to 20 under, make two birdies that, you know, it was kind of my golf tournament. And, uh, you know, you hear Jack Nicholas talk about it all the time, you know, make somebody else go out and beat you. Don't beat yourself. And, um, Kind of felt like I beat myself a little bit there, being a, li a little bit too aggressive when I didn't need to be for sure. And, um, you know, but but it was a good learning experience. And I finished third. And I it was funny because I walked off the golf course and I was happy because I felt like I had pretty much locked up my card at that point for the first time. 
And, uh, you know, I would say it didn't really start getting at me until a few months later when we started talking about the Masters and that sort of stuff that I kind of threw away there on that uh, nine finish. Yeah, and um, pressures, isn't it, that comes from, you know, you can, I suppose you, you say that you reflect on it a few months after, but these things can go straight to your head that you think about getting into a Masters when you're on the back nine, and it's very easy for an armchair fan, if you like, to say, well, you come down the back nine, it was yours to win, and you didn't. Um, but there's so many things, this, this is your saying there, it's the first time that you've really felt confident about locking up your cards, you've been playing really good golf, you, you just got married, so life was really great, um, but you're trying to now... Com- uh, convert a lead for the first time um and but then you really played quite well that year as well um you made the playoffs for the first time you finished uh, 12th at tory pines and 13th at the memorial um and also you had a, a 20th at the Wyndham championship which is another place that you played quite well um and that week you shot 69 and then 366s and still finished 20th so the scoring was just obviously off the charts that week i know snedica shot a 59 that week as well yeah, you know, that was a great year for me. Um, you know, and I had some highs and lows in there like you always do in golf. But, you know, the year as a whole was very solid, and I felt like things were in good order. Um, you know, I came out um, the, that fall, you know, a few weeks off, and it was the first time I got in uh, Malaysia, the tour events. Um, you know, they go more Malaysia, Korea, and China that are limited field events, um, guaranteed, you know, no cut money. And that was the first time I kind of made that long travel over there, and that affected me for a few weeks afterwards. And then um, I had a few equipment issues with some irons there coming out of that break where I, and I missed like every cut from January till April. It felt like, and I finally switched back to the irons that I used the year before, and things kind of clicked to get it off. I went, um, but you know that was that was a pretty tough uh, three four months in there for me that I felt like I was playing pretty good and I was scoring horrible and uh, missing every cut and. It's tough getting your brains beat in. You know, the guys are so good out there that if you're just a little bit off in any aspect that uh, it's tough to make a cut. And, and I figured that out pretty fast there. And, uh, you know, I was I was getting my butt kicked every week, it felt like. And uh, it wasn't a lot of fun. No. And then you go forward, obviously, until the, to the current season now. Uh, you obviously, have to go back and get, get your card again. But you finished second at the Green Bar, which you spoke on earlier, that, you know, you played really well that week. And, and Wacky Neiman just just played better he just played a really good week of golf and you know you shot 67 65 at a weekend there's not most times that'll get it done if you've got a chance to win and and he just played really well and then um you know you played okay at the sanderson's farm um but then you know four missed cuts ending the year before this incredible run that you've been on this season so how did you feel obviously ending the year with a few missed cuts did you still feel that the game was okay and it was just a case of riding some bad luck or was there was there a bit of worry in those four weeks? Yeah, it was kind of funny. My wife will probably tell you that I was uh, a little bit tough to deal with for that month when I was at home because I was pissed <laughs> off the whole time, really, to be honest with you, that, uh, you know, I got off to that great start. I finished second, and uh, we had gone home. We actually moved um, in Fort Worth into a new house. And I'll be honest, like, my, my practice, you know, dropped a little bit. You know, I took a few weeks. We were moving in, um, and then – I, I was still playing out of the uh, Corn Ferry Tour category this this fall where I had pretty bad status. So I didn't think I was going to get in a few of those events, to be honest with you. So my game was not ready to go at all when I got back out there um, in Mexico and a few of those other ones. So, man, it, it shows I played bad. And uh, But, you know, it was a great motivator because about the time, you know, Thanksgiving and whatnot, we shut it down. You know, I – 
more than anything, I didn't want to be the guy that finished second and just kind of limped into the finals and barely kept his card because he had one good week for the whole year. So that was kind of my my focus more than anything. Is like I, w- I want to take advantage of the second-place finish and use it to get me into more events and that sort of stuff rather than just get by on it, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, so when I came back, you know, I left December 26th. I went to Scott Hamilton's house for a few days worked with him. I went right to Phoenix um, for the week and a half before I went to Hawaii and I practiced real hard and, and I wanted to make sure that I was ready to go so that I didn't have those uh, same miscuts and, and that same sloppy golf really showing up in Hawaii. And You know, when I went out there and missed those cuts and felt like I wasn't ready, I felt bad more than anything that I was wasting my time and wasting, wasting the time of my caddy being out there even that uh, it wasn't fair to him that I wasn't ready to go. You know, you have that part of it. So, um, you know, I, I was real motivated. I was working hard, and, um, you know, things were clicking pretty good there as far as ball striking and putting. And I, I got a new putter. I switched to a TaylorMade Spider back um, in those Corn Ferry finals, and that's that's been huge for me that I feel like I'm putting better than I ever have. And even, even now, I um, still feel like I'm rolling it pretty good. So I'm hopeful that when I get back out, you know, I can pick up the ball striking part of it again here pretty fast, and uh, that putting will still be there, and I'll kind of away we go again. Yeah, and uh, just looking at obviously the calendar, you've only had one miscut at the Honda, uh, and even the T60 at Pebble, you played well for the first three rounds and and just struggled on the final day, and and you made up for for those two events with a fifteenth last time that you played a full event at Bay Hill. So, um, you know, the the form that you're in right now is absolutely incredible, and I think you speak there that you felt like you're wasting people's time and your own time, and and that was maybe the motivator. Does this season sort of show you now? the player that you can be and and the fact obviously because you've had a couple of chances to win before this um but you really now look like you're you're ready to make the leap into a pga tour winner um you're not going to have um the problems of going back to the finals to get your card and things like that so maybe it's a chance to to not freewheel your way through the season but to play a bit more relaxed golf and really just focus on on getting over the line for the first time yeah, you know, people people were kind of asking me after I, you know, I started off 12th, 6th, 5th, um, going from Hawaii to Palm Springs to Torrey Pines. So it was a great start, and kind of people were asking me what's different. And I couldn't really put my finger, like, it's not like anything as a whole is like, man, it's just way different or anything. You know, everything was a little bit better, I would say. But for the most part, I kind of felt like I just stopped doing a bunch of stupid stuff that I did before. You know, you'd, you'd stop hitting a eight iron or nine iron and missing a green and making bogey from the middle of the fairway. And it's kind of those little things that are, you know, momentum killers out there in the round of golf. You know, I kind of just cut that sort of stuff out and just kept going along. And, uh, you know, it just kind of stacked up to a good week at the end of the week all the time. So, you know, more than anything, it showed me like, you don't kind of like I went back to, you know, when I got that opportunity for the first Canadian open, like guys out there aren't doing anything special. It's just, they're just not doing anything stupid and they're just, playing good for 72 holes um so that was kind of what was different and you know i missed the cut at han and that was kind of the wake-up call again because we look back on that and it was kind of like how in the heck did i just miss the cut because i was a couple under par the first day through maybe 12 holes and end up shooting like three or four over like it was it was kind of a freaky finish i had where I, every shot kind of turned out bad but uh you know it was a good wake-up call again to get out there and work hard for bay hill and you know, that's one of my favorite golf courses that we play. I've only played it twice now, but I've played pretty well there. And, uh, you know, I felt like things were in really good order going into uh, the Players' Championship when we got called off. So, uh, you know, um, 
that's kind of been my focus now. I've been working with Scott, trying to shorten up my golf swing a little bit. That's kind of always what I go back to, and I seem to start hitting it well when things are a little bit shorter. So, um, you know, that's where we're at. And, uh, you know, th- three weeks out now to Colonial. So, you know, I was really excited when they released our new season here to finish the year because we've got Colonial, Hilton Head, Travelers right off the bat, um, three golf courses that – suit me really well they're a little bit shorter tighter golf courses that you've got to hit it well and, and ones that i feel like i can do pretty well at yeah and is there a concern then that maybe you know you, you say there you've got three events that you can really play well at um is there a concern that maybe when when the you get locked down is there a worry that you may try and change something to go even better because you, you, you know you finished 12th 6th and 5th and, and things like that that you know you're playing perfectly really you know not, yeah. not quite getting it done but is there a worry that you're going to try and tinker too much during this period that you've got off, or have you really just been able to set the clubs down and obviously you've been working this week with Scott, but not trying to change too much, just maybe sharpen it up? Yeah, you know, for me, um, kind of to give you an idea what our golf course was like, um, the first few weeks back with the quarantine, all you could do is walk and play 18 holes. Everything else was closed, basically. And they started opening things up a little bit more as we go. The driving range, they, they would let you hit balls for like 20 minutes to warm up before you played, but... Um, you know, we're back to a full range now, but, you know, you really weren't able to go practice at all. So until this week, like, all I've done is basically go warm up and go play around a golf. I haven't I haven't spent any time on the range just working on fundamentals or on the putting green or that sort of stuff. So I was just playing maybe three to four days a week and trying to play and keep my game kind of, you know, sharp a little bit through playing. But um, got a little bit sloppy with what I was doing in my golf swing, so some stuff to clean up again. But, um you know, I, I don't really tinker a whole lot to begin with. You know, I would say I'm kind of old school that um, I like to shape shots and hit, you know, phase draws, that sort of stuff. And, you know, feel like I'm moving it a little bit. So I like seeing shots in the golf course and doing that more than I like just sitting on the range and kind of hitting a bucket of balls. So, um, you know, for me that that if I can kind of keep keep my golf swing in balance and be able to work the ball both ways, high, low, you know, that I feel like my swing's in pretty good order. So, um, you know, I just like getting out and hitting shots. Yeah, and uh, you know, you're, you're 22nd in the FedEx Cup rankings as we stand, and, and like you say, you've got three events now that you're really looking forward to straight off the bat. That you know, maybe you start climbing into the top 10, 15, and and how does that kind of do you get sort of nervous thinking about that, or do you do you get excited? Is is it a case that you're just trying not to think too much about it and just play the golf that you have been playing? Because it's very easy to get distracted by those sort of things. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's that, you know, the, the gold finish inside the top 30 and make the tour championship, which gets you in all the majors. Um, and also, um, you know, I think I'm in the top 25 from the Ryder Cup uh, points list right now. And uh, Captain Stricker had, had a Zoom call last week talking about with a lot of the guys that I was able to be included on for the first time. So um, there's some very motivating stuff right there to, uh, you know, some, some big events you could potentially play your way into if you can go out and play well. So, you know, like I said, I've tried to use this motivation for workouts in the gym for practice now that, um, you know, a great opportunity ahead of me that I got to get out and work my butt off, kind of like I did after I missed the four cuts um, to going into the uh, break there that uh, time to get to work and get after it and hopefully take advantage of this. Yeah, and, and like you say there, there's motivating factors. And, and I want to touch upon again, back where you said that you, when you missed those four cuts at the start of the season, it really sort of narrowed in your focus and made you play better golf. And just looking back for your career generally, I think, you know, looking at the final rounds that you put together and 
the fact that when you get sent back to to the tour finals to get your card, you seem to always come through and do it. Do you think you're a guy that really needs the pressure to to play your best golf? Because it seems to be that maybe you know that is when you play your best, rather than the weeks where you can sort of not limp through, but it sort of appears that way that you, you kind of need a bit of pressure to motivate you. Yeah, I would say for sure there's that little bit of pressure. Um, kind of narrows my focus a little bit, I would say. And kind of the same goes with playing difficult golf courses. I seem to do pretty well on those because kind of the same reasons, I would say. Um, and I don't really know how to get myself to do it more on a Thursday, Friday round where obviously the shots still mean the same. So I got to figure that out. But, um, you know, for whatever reason, when things have really mattered, you know, even – I kind of touched on it. I made it through Q school my first time, but uh, I think I had to shoot 68, four under to make it on the number of the first stage. And I was right in the bubble um, of the second stage as well. So for whatever reason, when things have really mattered, I've just sort of been able to figure out how to get it done. And, um, you know, I think that uh, more than anything, you just get locked into knowing that you can't waste a shot out there. And, and that sort of uh, helped me out. But, um, you know, things have been going well and, uh, you know, hopefully a little bit more pressure to try to make it in some of these big tournaments can uh, can kind of get me over that next level again. Yeah, and you talk about, obviously, the, the incentives there of this, the FedEx Cup ring can get you into the major championships. You played in three U.S. Opens, but that, that is the only major that you've played in. Um, so it'd be nice to get to the other three. Uh, you know, the Open's not until next year, so you've got a chance to get into that. Um but you've also climbed almost 100 spots since the start of the year in the world rankings. So that's how quickly things can change, isn't it? You know, you're 127th, which is the best that you've ever been. Um, there's really an incentive now to not only get yourselves into the the better fields and the majors and, and like you say, the Ryder Cup as well, but for the top 50 for the first time in the world rankings. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's a lot of good stuff. And, uh, you know, I think just listening to you speak there, what stands out is, you know, that's the beauty of golf is that, um, you know, whether you're struggling or you're coming in really good form, you never know what that next week's going to hold and, and things can change in a hurry. So, you know, you just kind of put your head down and, and go work at it. And, um, you know, some good things can happen pretty fast in golf. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. Um, it's been a great year, even though, man, all those finishes, they seem like they've been so long ago with this, uh, quarantine that we've had so we're ready to get back at it yeah absolutely and that's the thing isn't it it's one of those ones where you know it, normally those would seem like recent time finishes where you can just string it together and ride the momentum whereas now you've kind of got to restart again so it almost feels like a new season completely um and hopefully you can just pick it up and, and go into it again and just probably let you go tom because obviously we've taken up nearly an hour of your time now but what just two sort of quick fire questions what is your your favorite stop on the tour the course that you like yeah, my favorite course is probably Riviera. Um, Riviera Colonial. I like those old school golf courses that are pretty straightforward. You know, there's there's nothing tricky about them, but they're pretty difficult to score on. And I've always enjoyed, you know, Riviera. Um, and it's funny because because uh, man, I've probably had two or three years where I haven't gotten in now off my status. So um, you know, I haven't played it a whole lot, but I've just always enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's just a pretty cool spot out there. The weather's always seems to be decent when we played, and uh, the golf course is phenomenal. Um, it seems like every week, I mean, every tournament such a great tournament. Um, so it's hard to pick one that I that I really I would say enjoy. But Quail Hollow's up there as far as golf courses and the way that they treat you. You know, it's always like a major there as far as people coming out. So it's fun to play. 
Um, and I would say the travelers in Hartford, um, you know, as far as taking care of guys, they just seem to do everything for us that week and a week that guys always enjoy. Um, and almost embarrassing to the point that, uh, the way that tournaments will take care of you and do everything for you. But uh, it's great and it makes life a lot easier on the road. Yeah, one of the positives of being on a PGA Tour is, is how you get looked after during those weeks. And obviously the financial incentives of playing on the main stage is, is such a world apart maybe from from even the Corn Ferry, which is obviously just the, the next step. So, And just the last question I had is, is there a more, most memorable round that you've had on the golf course? Is it playing with Tiger for the first time or, or one of the best rounds that you've shot? I would say for for sure playing with Tiger at Torrey Pines this this year when I played well and um, finished fifth. And you know everything about the day. Tiger was great to play with. We were talking and joking out there a lot, um, and he was awesome. And and you know for me, always looking up to the guy and getting to play with him there at Torrey Pines where he's dominated and won all the time. You know was was a cool experience and uh, you know one that I'll always remember. Do you think he's a different person from, from the four-year gap between playing with him the first time? Because a lot of media now focus on th- this new Tiger and a more relaxed attitude towards the media and things like that. Did you get that kind of vibe when you played with him for the second time? You know, a little bit. I mean, he was great to me the first time we played too, so I wouldn't say there's a whole lot different from that perspective. But, um, you know, everybody's – you know, I didn't really know him before that as well. You know, I would have – I can guarantee you he was different from the early 2000s Tiger when he was just – murdering everyone it seemed like out there on the golf course and didn't seem like he would say a word but um yeah he was great to play with and uh you know i think that seeing this side of him for sure is better for the media and for everybody um you know with the past that he's had to kind of forget about that a little bit yeah absolutely look so i'm just going to thank you for your time and uh wish you all the best going forward with this new we we'll say new season really coming out of the lockdown um like you say there's plenty of incentives on the table for you now you're in a great position to to make a really great run at those and, and we hope you do well and wish you the very best yeah thank you tom fun chat